Let's go Tokyo with Ben O'Shea and Mark Reddings. Hello and welcome to Let's Go Tokyo. Ben O'Shea and Mark Reddings with you. It's July 26, day three of the Olympics and what an opening weekend. First, we were wowed by the opening ceremony. Australia recorded its first goals and we even saw some shock exits. But Skeet, how much of a ripper was that swim by Ariane Titmus today? Absolutely, Ben. Great to be part of Let's Go Tokyo and in the words of the late... Bob Hawke, if any boss sacks his worker for watching that race today, then there's something wrong with our country. That was an amazing few minutes of swimming, and it was one of those moments where you look at a legend, a champion, being challenged by the up-and-comer. Ledecky, so brave, so good, but then Ariana Titmus just her speed map, as they say, was outstanding. She waited to the 250-metre mark, accelerated, got across the line. Olympic world champion she is. Uh, a gold medal, our second over there in Tokyo. It's pretty amazing and great, great vision to see her coach going absolutely bananas in the stand. I'm not sure if he was wearing his mask properly there, but uh, we'll give him a pass on that one. I've got to say, Dean Boxall has become a viral sensation in the best part of an hour after what he produced. He had no idea the camera was on him, but he went into a... Well, the vision is, is so telling of the excitement, the euphoria, the relief, all bottled into one. And you can see the memes uh, bobbing up, I reckon, when Australia's open for business to go and fly into state. That's going to be what everyone puts on their social media. It was an extraordinary moment and he will be, he won't have to buy beer for the next six months around Australia because he's so well recognised after that moment. Now that is going to be a meme that lasts well beyond this Olympics and in case you're wondering, Australia is now sitting seventh on the medal tally which is fantastic, a couple of days into the Olympics. We've got four medals, two gold, one silver, one bronze. No surprise to see China on top with six gold, uh, followed by uh, Japan, the United States, rounding up the top three. So great to see the host country up at the top of the table. And that tends to happen, doesn't it? When a nation is hosting Com Games, Olympic Games, uh, they find ways to improve and really lift the bar and the standard gets uh, elevated. So no surprise that Japan will be maybe even their best ever haul, I suspect, given uh, being in Tokyo, these Olympics. So what we've seen already is an example of that. The athletes, just even though there's no crowd, how much of a factor would that have been for the home teams to, to, to breed off and really give them that that sense of, uh, of accomplishment? So they have to avoid uh, worrying about the external factors, but the Japanese, good result for them, but the Aussies, Top 10 at this point, and uh, we know that the swimming pool is going to be very fruitful for, for us over the next few days as well. Yeah, we've got a lot to cover, so let's get into it. Tokyo's top moments. Well, when it comes to top moments over the opening weekend, there's one probably Americans don't think is that great, but it's certainly a talking point for the rest of the world. Absolutely. Well, they entered the tournament having been beaten by Australia and Nigeria, the dream team. And you go back to 1992 when they arrived at the Olympics, Barcelona in a blaze of glory and the big names strutting their stuff. Jordan, Barkley, uh, Magic Johnson, I think, was there as well. It was just incredible, that team. And I think, forget the Olympic Village for them. It was just a five-star hotel uh, somewhere nearby where they just... uh, lounged and did their best work. Uh, Since then, they have been unbeatable. Well, that has changed, not just in the warm-up games. They've now been defeated by France 83-76 to in a real boil-over and some question marks. We know this team is extraordinary. They've got Kevin Durant, arguably the greatest player on the planet, um, Damon Lillard. We know they've got a good side, great players, 
But will they have the chemistry to provide a great team? That remains to be seen. It is early days. They've just lost the one match. But um, the French finished off with a 20-7 to run to get the job done. Uh, and you've got to think from an Australian perspective and other countries who are eyeing off a spot on the podium, the Americans, I think it's safe to say, they are gettable for the first time in a long time. Absolutely. Like that first loss at an Olympic level since 2004. And I watched that game last night and they were decidedly average. Lillard, who you mentioned, is scoring machine in the NBA. He would seem scared to put up a shot. And even from the charity stripe towards the end of the game uh, was just, you know, he could not sink one for love or money. Uh, and it was definitely, I think, telling to see how far off the pace America seemed last night against France. Uh, France chemistry was amazing. They played hard. They played as a team from start to finish and overcame a, a pretty sizable deficit after the first quarter to just really n- look like they were never going to lose. Absolutely. Uh, bear in mind, no LeBron James, James Harden, Steph Curry. Oh, yeah. All out. But you can only beat what you're up against. So the French have done that. It opens the door. The Australians, of course, knocking over Nigeria uh, last night. Paddy Mills was terrific for the Australians, led from the front. Uh, he ended up scoring 25 points, had a handful of assists as well, 84 to 67. And uh, we know the Nigerians, uh, a bit of a bit of a surprise packet, I suppose, with what they did in the in the pre-Olympic tournament or build-up games against the Americans. So the Australians just building nicely, we hope, towards a uh, first ever medal at well, Olympic level. Well, that's the interesting thing now with that American loss, and you'd assume that Australia will win the remaining games in their pool uh, and probably finish uh, top of that pool. America now probably looking at second in their pool. That sets up for Australia the Boomers not having to meet the dream team. Under until the semi-finals, until the match that will send them to the gold medal round. So that's a great result to not meet them in the, say, quarterfinals where, you know, you miss out on a medal if you lose that one. Yeah, the later you can meet the dream team, irrespective of what we've just seen against France, the better. So hopefully the planets align on that front and the Australians can get a nice passage through to uh, a gettable, winnable uh, quarterfinal slash semi-final and then obviously they, they put themselves in the frame for a medal. And look, the gold medal, the ultimate, would be great, but I think... At this point, they would be just more than happy to be in the conversation at that stage of the tournament. Yep, and one of my top moments over the weekend was the men's road race in the cycling. Uh, Beautiful, beautiful race, 230-odd kilometres along the lower slopes of Mount Fuji to finish on uh, the Fuji racetrack. Pretty spectacular scenery. And it was won by Richard Carapaz of Ecuador, uh, which is incredible because he finished on the podium in the Tour de France about a week ago, uh, finished third, uh, and the man he beat uh, today, Pogacar. So he was the guy who won the Tour de France, now finished second. Amazing to see after that incredible, incredible endurance effort in the Tour de France to now back it up with gold and silver at an Olympic level. Spectacular. How do you do that physically? It's a question that I haven't got the answer for, but to go through the enormous challenge of the Tour de France, which is just out of this world and, and the, the, the picturesque scenes and all that from a spectator's point of view is terrific but to put your body through that and the, the emotion we saw Ash Barty after winning Wimbledon came across to Tokyo beaten in her first match and so she's mm. out of the Olympic contention uh, Naomi Osaka for her point of view getting a result which is great for her and, and the nation of Japan but yeah from, the, from the, the road race perspective the fact that they're able to back up and go again is something quite incredible in terms of uh, 
we're talking about the, the scenery and, and the, the the journey, the track that these guys had to, to ride on. Your knowledge on Japan is such, you'd obviously be quite familiar perhaps with some of the uh, the road race where it heads and where it ends up. Yeah, it was fantastic to see that. I think all of the Aussies who've been on holiday to Japan would have appreciated seeing that countryside. It, most of us go in winter for the skiing, so mm. it was very different to see it all <laughs> covered in greenery rather than covered in snow, but spectacular vision. And, and talking about spectacular, if we're talking about top moments of the Olympics over the weekend, you have to talk about Simone Biles, the star American gymnast. You talk about you know NBA stars who are playing for America and other superstar athletes, the Ash Barty's, the Naomi Osaka's of the world. But is there any Olympian who is more famous than Simone Biles right now? She's just extraordinary. And her record in Rio suggests that she's in for another massive haul. I mean, uh, four gold in Rio de Janeiro in the team, the all-round, the vault, the floor exercise... And she finished with a bronze in the balance beam. So she's been at the top of her game for a long time. Bear in mind, and I have to say that uh, in gymnastics, we look at the, the date of birth and go, wow. But uh, March 14, 1997. So she's actually 324, which is getting a bit old. Yeah, old for a gymnast. A gymnast. It wasn't showing yesterday when she opened her account in Tokyo in the teams category. Like working through the apparatus, she was amazing. And, you know, I spent most of the day watching the, the gymnastics last yesterday. And I have to say, it was just obvious. She's like Michael Jordan, you know, like you watch her in action and she is just a class above everybody else. Absolutely. Now, I had the pleasure of commentating the Olympics in 2012 with Liz Chetkovich, who's a, a renowned uh, gymnastics uh, expert, a coach, and has done so much with Australian athletes. And, and Simone Biles on the radar, even back then, what does that make her? 15 years of age, which is very much in the uh, the wheelhouse for what gymnasts can do in terms of their athletic ability. Uh, and from a very early age, as you can see with some of these young gymnasts, They've got star power, and she definitely had that going back um, 10 years ago. And, and she's got that record now, which suggests she could be one of the greatest mm. of all time, which is something to behold if she does reel in three or four gold medals here, which is not inconceivable by any means, then uh, Simone becomes, uh, in terms of American sport, American Olympics, one of the greats. Well, here's a quick question for you. Watching the gymnastics, it's really obvious, you know, one country that does very well historically is Russia. They're not competing under the Russian flag because of doping offences. They've been banned. But they're allowed to compete under the Russian Olympic Committee. And, like, I'm watching it, and I see these I see these Russian athletes. The commentators are referring to them as Russia, Russian athletes. And I guarantee you, in Russia, it's being reported as they're representing us, they're representing Russia, they're winning medals for Russia. Does it really seem like much of a penalty? Seems like a joke to me. Um, uh, but President Putin's probably sitting there and uh, and lapping up the adulation. Uh, I have no idea how the quirk of rules and names uh, came to be that they can uh, find some sort of a loophole in the Olympic uh, setup to allow them to compete under that banner. But they have done it. And unfortunately, um, if there are other countries that are going to be affected on the medal tally bite, then uh, that's just... Um, the way it's going to roll in 2021. Well, let's talk about some Aussies now, hey? Absolutely. Aussies in action. Now, we talked about Ariana Titmus just a minute ago. Uh, beat her great rival, American Katie Ledecky. Like, let's just put that into some context, right? Ledecky was the queen of the pool. Absolutely. Uh, and bear in mind, going into the final, Titmus had swum one second slower than Ledecky in the semi-final. Um, so that was... Uh, 
just a little bit of a preview of what's to come. Um, and these two, by the way, will have another first of three showdowns. So it's going to be uh, the best of three, so to speak. <laughs> it's, it's just the first round. Absolutely. Um, and you'd have to say that the way that Ariane swum her race in the final was terrific. She made her move at the 250 mark, and Ledecky went out strongly, trying to break the Australian. And it was so clever and so disciplined by Ariane not to, to go with her. To go with her, but just kept her uh, about a half length in advance. And then she put the foot down and really just reeled her in. As I said, it was a beautifully paced race by Ariane uh, getting across the line. A lot of pressure on her because even though Ledecky's the superstar and the legend, she had to try and find a way to get past her. And she did that. And not going from uh, a world champion now into an Olympic champion, uh, the satisfaction was enormous. And as we said, um, the coach and the reaction of a lot of Australians was, was terrific to see this young lady emerge originally from Tasmania. Her family decided because she had potential, they were going to move to Queensland and Brisbane particularly to, to try and further her education. And Queensland's got such a reputation for producing great yeah, it's a swimmers. breeding ground for great swimmers. Yeah, in Drapilli, which uh, uh, a suburban part of, of Brisbane she grew up in. And that was the catalyst for her being able to find her way in, into the world of swimming and obviously the success that she now has. And it was a bit of a gamble. I mean, a whole family uprooted uh, to, to go and chase her dream and to see them in Noosa. They were in Noosa watching the, the final today. Um, and the tears of joy from them and, and the hard work, the sacrifices they had made to get her to that position. And um, it just brings back memories when I heard Ariane speak after her gold medal win. Uh, Ash Barty, having won Wimbledon, said, you know what? It's so much better to be a better human being than a better, better athlete. And it seems very much the case with Ariane, just low-key, yep. humble, down-to-earth. That's the way we always like that's it. that's the thing. And she, was, and she it was almost a look of relief or, or probably exhaustion as much as anything else on her face after she won. There was no, you know, Hewitt, come on. There was no slapping the water, that sort of stuff. She just took it in her stride. Uh, what a champion. And then talking about champions, the uh, 4 by 100 relay gold, like uh, Kate and Bronte Campbell, Emma McEwen and Meg Harris, like everybody expected them to win. But it's another thing to get up there on the blocks and actually deliver. And the burden of expectation can be quite crippling at times. That's their third consecutive gold medal at Olympic Games for that relay team. And um, the generational change is obviously going to come through 12 years or 13 years as it is. But what they did, they managed to live up to the expectation. And great to see Kate Campbell because she's had her, her heartbreak at Olympic Games. Of course, Rio being most notable. But to get that result early in the swimming program gives her, from a personal point of view, takes the, the pressure off. She can swim her own personal events, uh, you think, with a little bit yeah, less pressure. Yeah, just go for it. Swim a bit loose. And and what a great uh, fillip it is for the team just get to get that gold in the bank early uh, and to smash a world record, to do it in such emphatic style, I think was, was very impressive. It was a wonderful moment for the whole country to, to go along with them yesterday. Uh, and world, world record as well, which is fantastic. A lot of good moments in the pool. Uh, Emma McEwen uh, finished third in the 100-metre butterfly. Uh, Brennan Smith got an unexpected bronze, which I thought was great. And of course, uh, just about half an hour ago, the men's relay picked up a bronze, which was terrific. And there, Cole Chalmers flew home in the final uh, leg to get them on the podium uh, a bronze medal. And they were delighted with that. The Americans far too good. But that's a, a result that I think the Australians just keep ticking over those results in the pool. And that sets the tone for the rest of the squad. And, and as we see, there's, there's so much other sport going on. In fact, I mean, the, the hockey ruse have made a really good start against China. It was 2-0 at half time. It, the word goes around that there's yep. there's success happening. Kookaburra has smashed India. 
Absolutely, seven one. Yeah, uh, they're the world number one, by the way, the Kookaburra. So they played that, like it. That doesn't come as a huge surprise, but getting momentum, playing as they have in their first couple of matches, that will give them um, not their self belief required, but just uh, vindication of of what they're doing in terms of game style moving forward. I have to say. Uh, the conditions are obviously hard to see on the TV, but the, the, the players look so drained in those <laughs> those humid, hot conditions in Tokyo. Well, it's going to be interesting to see, I guess, in those team sports, how they adapt to that humidity, which is through the roof. And it's the sort of the later stages of this competition. If you progress past the group stage into the, into the semis and the, the medal matches, you know, how you... I guess, uh, recover from those you know, previous matches. That's going to be a secret. Uh, and then, uh, you know, it's in the soccer, not quite so good news. Now, Spain, too good for us there. Uh, class difference there, perhaps coming to the fore. Uh, Graham Arnold, though, he's been very buoyant and very bullish about what this team can do. Uh, I think uh, he's justified after that first up shock win over Argentina. Uh, as for the uh, Matildas, uh, Sam Kerr, she apologised after missing a penalty. I mean, that can happen. She was a star anyway. She scored two. She scored two and was uh, lining up for a hat-trick. Uh, the Swedes, gee, they're a good they team. They look pretty good, don't they? They knocked off the US pretty comfortably, and I, I think Sweden could make some noise in this competition. Oh, no surprise at all, because they are a quality outfit. So the Australians, yeah, the problem now for them is that they just have to get everything right to advance. And, of course, the USA. Well, the US. USA on Tuesday. That's tomorrow. So... Uh, a slip up there, it becomes pretty tough to... You leave yourself vulnerable, put it that way. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you just have to beat the teams that you know are going to be there, and unfortunately that's the case. Um, I have to mention, of course, Jess Fox, who is into the semi-finals of the K1. She was three seconds ahead of her nearest rival. Bear in mind, she's a three-time Olympian. Uh, they call her the Silver Fox because uh, she picked up a silver. She's got a bronze and still now searching for that ultimate, the gold. She's been a, a very much a face of the Channel 7 promotions with a, the beautiful hair and the beaming smile. And But uh, underneath that, Jess Fox is an absolute competitor. So keep an eye out for her over the coming days, and hopefully, fingers crossed, she can... Uh, uh, get that elusive gold medal. It'd be one of the best sports, I reckon. It's <laughs> all the other athletes are just <laughs> sweating it out, <laughs> sweating it Seriously out in the, water. In the K1. You love it. Now you might have missed this, and this is the thing about the Olympics. There is so much going on, and you know, across uh, you know Channel 7's various platforms, you have 45 channels of action, and you're sort of scrolling from one to the next, hoping to catch all of the best moments. The rugby was an interesting one. Uh, Aussies versus Argentina. Yes. What, what a cracker! They were down. Australia was down uh, 24 zip. I saw. I was watching and then we suddenly got some momentum, scored a couple of tries, and that can happen in, in yeah, uh, can Rugby 7. can very quick in Very sevens. quickly, and of course, it depends how much uh, gas you've got in the tank, and it's such a quick, quick-flowing game that if you haven't quite got the, um, the aerobic capacity, it can fall <laughs> apart very quickly. But the Australians, uh, I looked up and went, oh no, trouble, but... They came back uh, within five points with about a minute to go, and that last minute was was hectic. Just couldn't quite get there and went down 29-19. But, you know, good good signs uh, for, for the Aussies. The Argentina are a great team. Uh, the triathlon was another interesting one. Um, Jake Bertwistle, pretty pretty tough day at the office for him. Kicked in the face in the uh, weird false start. Uh, well, I was watching the TV this morning as I'm getting ready for work, and they're all lined up on the pier, and then they launched themselves into the water. False start. Because there was a, a TV media boat that had come close to, well, A, interfering with the competitors, and B, thankfully not hurting or anything or worse. Them over. Which was, uh, so there was a, a lot of confusion. 
maybe a lot of anger and frustration for the athletes who then had to go again. But uh, eventually they, they got themselves rolling. Yeah, well, none more, none more so than Jake, who the Aussie got kicked in the face and ended up having a broken nose from that collision. And then he's finished the race with that before it was realised what was wrong with him. And the end, he finished 16th, which I have to say, with a broken schnoz in the triathlon, is a pretty decent effort. And he was the best placed of the three Aussies, uh, with Matt Hauser finishing 24th and Aaron Royal uh, finishing 26th. That's uh, pretty good. Yeah, I agree. And uh, can't under- underestimate those triathletes. They have got a power of uh, mental ability to just push through those tough times. And there's an example. The Aussies are doing themselves proud there. WA's elite athletes on the podium. Joining us now is a master of the water and the waves and a champion of a sport which, as of this year, is an Olympic event. Professional surfer Claire Bevilacqua, thanks for joining us. No worries. Thanks for having me, guys. And now, Steph Gilmore's medal hopes are over. Uh, after winning the third heat yesterday, it was looking good, but she went down to South Africa's uh, Bianca Butendag. Were you surprised to see Steph bow out? Yeah, I definitely was. She just um, is looking in such good form, and that Bianca is a really good surfer too, but she just seemed to step it up another level. I don't know if, if the pressure worked in her favour, but she actually was surfing, the, you know, doing some of the best surfing I've ever seen. Uh, on the upside, uh, Claire, Sally Fitzgibbons through to the quarterfinals, so that's good news. The Aussies were expected to do well in surfing, and uh, obviously uh, Sally's getting through to that next stage, which is critical. Yeah, Sally is... Um, for me, I think she's the most informed surfer in the world right now, so there's no doubt um, that she will just keep smoking everybody like she does. She's just an incredible athlete and super consistent, and I don't know, everything just seems to be clicking together for her this year, so I, I think that um, gold is on the horizon for her, personally. Claire, talk us through this sport being at the Olympics and what it means to the competitors and whether you think it belongs there and it, it's going to have a, a long-term future at Olympic level. Yeah, surfing is so exciting. I think, you know, it, it appeals to everybody all over the world because it's just so different. You know, you're, you're riding, you're flowing along the surface of the waves and using the wave's power and, and, and um, the criticalness of the waves to do these crazy manoeuvres. So I think that it, it's going to appeal to a, a really big um, audience. And also for the surfers, I think we're all just happy to, you know, see it on the on the main sta- stage and, and be considered uh, a world-class sport. And, and, you know, some of my, my fellow peers are some of the best athletes that I've ever seen in my life. So there's no reason why it shouldn't be up there with, uh, you know, badminton and uh, put table tennis and all the rest of the sports <laughs> that I don't think are as athletic, but, you know, interesting to some people. And what do you make of the conditions so far over there in Tokyo? It's a bit smaller than what we see, say, down at the box in Margaret River. Yeah, well, nowhere's like the box in Margaret River. That's that's one of the most incredible waves in the whole world. Um, personally, Japan for surfing doesn't really appeal to me. I mean, the Japanese people are really into surfing and they're super supportive and cool. But, yeah, it never really has good waves for competing in. As a surfer, you don't really go there thinking you're going to get the great ways and best ways of your life so I think hopefully in the future it will go to maybe a wave pool situation like you know like skateboarding and snowboarding where you have that consistent uh, wave to work with and it's a bit more even Um, Japan is you know you're going to be sitting there praying for waves to come sometimes waves won't come and it's not as exciting to watch but still you know those guys are making it look really really good anybody else out there would be really struggling and 
the, the boys and girls are just doing crazy stuff and, uh, and are still making it entertaining. Now, is that inconsistency in the waves? Do you think that helps explain uh, what happened to Steph? She said after uh, her elimination that uh, you know she'd ceded priority to uh, the South African because she looked at the wave, didn't think it was that good, so she let her have it, and then it turned out to be a seven point ten for Bianca. Is that one of the is that one of the challenges when the, the conditions are a bit inconsistent? It's pretty much the number one challenge that us surfers face. I mean, it makes it exciting as a spectator at, at sometimes because you know. You never know if that last wave is going to come. Um, but as a surfer, it is is terrible to work with and really heartbreaking when you're sitting there and the priority is against you and, you know, you have five minutes to go and a wave just doesn't come. It's, it's something that I hope in the future isn't a factor when it comes down to showcasing the best surfing. You know, it's, it's, it, it, there's too much luck involved and then, you, you know, you don't always see the best surfers win, which is not in the case of the other sports. We're speaking with Claire Bevilacqua on Let's Go Tokyo about the games in progress and the surfing competition making its debut. Uh, a WA girl, uh, 14 years of age or thereabouts, she took up surfing, but skateboarding, which is in the Olympics this year, that was part of your passion early doors as well, wasn't it, Claire? Yeah, I started skateboarding pretty much as soon as I could walk and, you know, skateboarding and boogie boarding, they're kind of those sports where you can just be relatively safe at a young age you know obviously you've got to have uh, your parents watching you but you can kind of just take the boogie board or take the skateboard and just muck around on it and figure it out for yourself whereas surfing is I feel like a lot more dangerous so it was a really good way for me to start out safely and get my board skills and watching the skateboarding is awesome you know snowboarding's been in the Olympics for a while and those those extreme sports they're just so exciting to watch and I think everybody around the world no matter if they snow skate or surf like they can sit back and kind of think that it's there's a bit of magic to it and Claire I must say I'm very envious of you given the fact you've surfed a lot of your career at Margaret River where the waves are, are so intimidating it's fair to say you're diminutive five foot two 1.57 meters how the heck do you get yourself in a position where you put your body and your heart and your head on the line in those types of swells you know, I'm not even a big wave rider. There's a lot more crazier girls that are, you know, Laura Enova, she's tiny as well. And I think it's all in your heart, you know. We have we have big hearts and we're passionate and we're confident. And um, I think we're just at home in the ocean. And it's incredible what the body can withstand, you know, when I see the guys surfing really big stuff. Um, lucky growing up in WA and being immersed, you know, in, in this powerful ocean and going to Rottnest as a child and just always knowing and how powerful the waves are, how dangerous they are and having such a big respect for it. I think you grow these ocean skills that a lot of people just couldn't understand because we're just thrown in, in the storm from day one here. It's just always so raw and wild and intense. But as, as we showed, you know, today in this weather and winter, you know, it's just... In our, it's in our blood to be able to survive this stuff. Mm, well, you mentioned your heart, Claire. Yours lies with two countries, is that right? Australia and Italy? <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely um, half-half. I'm very proud of my Italian heritage and, and, and my connection to the culture over there and representing Italy the last few years in the hopes of surfing for them was, you know, it, it, it tears me because I am Australian and, and I love my country, but 
it's nice to jump on board with the Italians. You know, everybody loves the Italians. They're full of fun and, and they're so, so passionate about everything. And just being involved in that, it just gives you energy and, and motivation and inspiration to, you know, keep pushing myself at my age. I definitely got an extra little buzz from being involved in that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very proud to be uh, representing Italy as well. And will you be trying out for Italy for the next Olympics? Yeah, I'll probably be 50 by then, but I'll keep giving it a go. Now, I'll be, I'll be 40 uh, by then. And I know I, most women will know we kind of hit our prime in our 30s, and it's unfortunate with all the rest of the things that we have to do in our lives that can sometimes hold us back from uh, maintaining that athleticism for a long, long time. So just see how the body holds up and I for sure if I can I would love to be involved again because watching it right now and, and not being involved is is pretty painful knowing that you know the last 20 years of my career I I um, I gave it everything I knew was on the horizon and yeah I would love to be a part of it somehow even if I'm just on the sidelines. Uh, Claire don't don't sell yourself short on the age bracket because we know Australia has a 66-year-old equestrian rider competing in Tokyo. So the sky is the oh limit when God. it comes to Tokyo and uh, competition. And the men's, That's amazing. Yeah, it, 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 she, I watched in the dressage over the weekend, uh, which is maybe not the most physically demanding sport, but I, I'm sure it is more physically demanding than we think uh, as people who have never done it before. Now, the men start surfing today, starting at uh, 2 p.m. Uh, Perth time. Uh, John John Florence uh, from America is one of the headliners there. How do you how do you see that competition going? Well, I was really surprised to see Owen do so well. You know, he was he's one of the bigger guys, and he always shines in in the really big, intense waves like Pipeline and Chopu. And to see him surf those little Japanese waves with with so much speed and flow was really inspiring. So I just think anything goes for them on the men's side. All of them are so good. Everyone from Indonesia to you know, obviously the Brazilians and then the Americans and, and the Europeans. Like, there's so many good servers. And Ramsey from Morocco, he's incredible as well. So I think out of all the sports, that one's going to probably, you know, be really exciting because any country can do anything. You know, surfing so broad like that, it's, it's, it's exciting. And just quickly, Claire, when it comes to meddling at the Olympics, you talked about how it's hurting you watching this and being uh, on the sidelines. Uh, how much would it mean to... Compare it to, say, winning a title around the world or winning the world title. Where does this sit if you could uh, grab a medal of any colour over there in Tokyo? I think that this would be the most important. You know, you'd have to ask the world champions that. I I never won a world title, so I can't compare it. Um, but, you know, we're watching the Olympics since we're, since we're kids and... Um, all those people are heroes, those athletes that, you know, they we want to be like them in a way. And so I think it is probably the most important thing that you could ever do in your career. I think it would be at the top. Yeah. I think it'll be written all over their faces when we see them on the podium. We'll have to wait and see. Professional surfer Claire Bavalacqua, great to chat to you today. Thanks for your time on Let's Go Tokyo. Thanks for having me. Now, Skeet, you reckon we should wrap up uh, what's going on tonight and tomorrow in the Olympic Games? Yeah, there's plenty happening, isn't there? Uh, we mentioned the fact that the surfing picks up uh, later this afternoon. We've got uh, so much swing 
the heats is a funny thing because you, you're expecting them to be in the morning and the finals at night, but it's all done for American TV. Yeah, so, right. so we get tonight and we go, oh, it's the heats. And you, you get excited and you, then you think, oh, no, we'll just get out. Calm the farm. <laughs> calm the we farm. We work this morning. <laughs> and then you just relax and realise that uh, tomorrow morning is, is next on the agenda. So, but For the folks at home, though, can I just say that uh, the, what they might not realise about the Channel 7 sport team is where they sit in the newsroom. They have one of Western Australia's biggest flat screen TVs right next to where they sit. So you don't miss too much, do you? No, thanks for giving away the trade secret. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we do have a few TVs in a TV station, Benny. So we are fortunate on that front. And uh, I can tell you now, uh, a lot of work being done, but there's also a bit of uh, watching of the screens to make sure we don't miss a second of the action over there. Lots of Aussies in action. We've got in the water polo, the women's, the Australian team playing the Netherlands uh, this afternoon at 5.20. They beat Canada on Saturday, 8.5, so great to see them back in action. In the boxing, Bunbury's Alex Winwood makes his Olympic debut in the men's fly this afternoon uh, with a round of 32 fight against Zambia's Patrick Chinyamba. Absolutely, and in swimming, we talk about locals, well, Zach and Surti, uh, West Australian from Broome, so he'll be used to the, the hot and uh, humid conditions that are uh, being presented in Tokyo. He's going to compete, and great to see him in the 4x100 freestyle relay team after a particularly strong second leg swim. Uh, Australia, by the way, qualified for the final after Kyle Chalmers' surprise selection, by the way, in the, in the heat, won his 110th fastest ever split in the event. Um, so, Zach and Surti, what a moment for him. We know that um, others in the, the WA team, such as... Um, uh, Brianna Throssell, West Australians, not their first rodeo, as they say, but for Zach it is, and what a moment for him to be part of all that. Yeah, and he did great swim in the heats. He swam a 47.64 in the 100-metre split, which is the second fastest of the four Aussies, and uh, seven-tenths of, uh, of a second faster than uh, US, uh, the America's Blake Peroni. So yeah. good result for Zach. In the basketball, coming up tomorrow, some exciting stuff. Uh, Australia taking on Belgium in the women's. And uh, interesting to see how they go with that Liz Cambage, who left mm. the squad um, under the term of mental illness, and we have to stand by and, and respect that that's why she's left. But we know there's something more behind the scenes with a disagreement disagreement at a scrimmage, we believe. And, and so there's, there was unrest there. I wonder whether her absence now might just clear the air and hopefully the the um, the female team can get away to a really good start. Yeah, the and the Matildas have another chance uh, to bounce back from Sweden. As you mentioned, play US uh, at 4pm tomorrow. That's going to be a massive, massive match for them and for Sam Kerr. Hopefully she can put another couple of goals in the back of the net. Maybe tournament-defining for the Matildas, yep. not forgetting our hockey men uh, up against Argentina. They're flying the Kookaburras. As we said, they're the world number one ranked side. I just get the feeling they can go through this tournament undefeated. Big statement, but they are playing such good hockey, it wouldn't be beyond them. Yeah, and we've got some Aussies in action in the weightlifting as well. In the women's, in the 59-kilo class, Erika Yamasaki, and in the 64-kilo class, Kiana Elliott. Do you watch any of the weightlifting over the weekend? I didn't catch the weightlifting. I, did. I was commentating. Well, I, the build-up and the, the excitement around the... It was the blokes. It was the little pocket rockets. Oh, like yeah. The, the, like the 67-kilo the class or something like that. Little fellas. Um, but, geez, I, I think that was one of the guy who, who was leading uh, ended up lifting 151 kilos as a bloke who weighs less than 67 kilos. Amazing. Uh, and so much comes down to strategy because, you know, the, the real big boys of the competition don't lift in the lower weights. They only come on at sort of the hero level right at the end. But if they make any mistakes, it, it can be costly for them. And that's what we saw with China, who was the world champion, came out, 
started late in the competition and then just couldn't get it done in the snatch. Uh, and so we'll see how it goes. They've still got the clean and jerk to go and then they'll combine those and we'll get some medals out of it. Isn't it funny you talk about those weights they're lifting? Sometimes twice, if not more, their own body weight. It is just extraordinary. And you say some of the sizes, when you see them uh, in height, Comparisons, wow. Yeah. What they do, uh, pound for pound, extraordinary. The Colombian lifter in particular, he had a real sort of swagger about him, walked up onto the podium and just, just put up the, the 151 smile on his face. Well, he'd want to go back to Colombia with a medal, hopefully, <laughs> otherwise it could be trouble. <laughs> yeah, it, can be, it can be a problem. I'm Ben O'Shea with Mark Reddings. Good to have your company for Let's Go Tokyo. We'll be back tomorrow with more of the action from both in the sport and outside the games. You can catch us wherever you find your podcasts. You've been listening to Let's Go Tokyo by The West Live with Ben O'Shea and Mark Reddings.